Hello, and welcome to Think Like a Game Designer. I'm your host, Justin Gary. In this podcast, I'll be having conversations with brilliant game designers from across the industry with a goal of finding universal principles that anyone can apply in their creative life. You can find episodes and more at thinklikeagamedesigner.com. Welcome to Season 3 of Think Like a Game Designer. I'm very excited to continue to bring you more amazing guests, design lessons, and tips about the gaming industry, but I also want to share something new and exciting that I'm launching this year. In addition to the podcast and the book for Think Like a Game Designer, I'm also launching a masterclass for those that really want to go deep into game design and work with an incredible group of people to take your projects to the next level. We've already had an incredible beta group go through the course last year. It includes video lessons from me, access to an exclusive Discord group, monthly masterminds where we can dive deep into the actual problems that you have with your own designs and really walk you through everything that it takes to go from initial idea, whether you have a project you really want to work on or you have no idea where to start, all the way through to getting your game published, whether that's launching it via Kickstarter, launching your own company, selling it to a publisher, or whatever you want to do to make your game design dreams come true. If you think you might be the right fit for this course, go to thinklikeagamedesigner.com to learn more. In today's episode, I speak with Jason Charles Miller. Jason is a rock star. And when I say that, I mean it literally. He is literally a rock star. He has toured on OzFest with bands like Slipknot, Disturbed. He's produced tons of great songs, music. And then he became a voice actor and has been a voice actor for Every game that you've ever heard of, including now he's he's going to play as Optimus Prime. He's been voice actor in Diablo and Hearthstone and World of Warcraft and Avatar The Last Airbender and all kinds of incredibly cool programs. And now he's a celebrity streamer streaming uh, uh, role-playing games through Critical Role and a variety of new shows that he has been involved in. Uh, it's He's an incredibly talented, incredibly fun guy to talk to. And I just have so much fun digging into his background, learning how, what the nuts and bolts are. If you want to become a voice actor working in games or cartoons or anything, what you would have to do to do that, how that happens. We talk about the nature of luck and hard work and how you can create your life such that you're going to be able to be lucky and find those connections and, and connect with great people and be able to build a career. We talk about the world of role-playing games and streaming and what makes games really good to teach and what makes them good to watch and how these things can all go together, both as a designer, as a streamer, what types of things that he looks for. And we also get some cool stories of rock and roll, including a private concert from Ozzy Osbourne. So, you know, this episode is definitely not like any other one that I've done, but we have plenty of cool lessons about the industry, plenty of great stories, a lot of fun things. We really, you know, we even get get pretty deep at one point in talking about the nature of, you know, when you say yes to things and how you say no to things. Because at different points in your life, you want to be trying stuff that's going to make you uncomfortable and pushing and saying yes to all kinds of opportunities. And at other points, you've got to be able to face those difficulties of turning down work or projects or quitting jobs or doing things that aren't serving you. And so we dig into that stuff too and go back and forth on that as well. So it's a really fun episode. I am sure that you're going to enjoy it. Uh, and without further ado, I'm going to give you Jason Charles Miller. Hello and welcome. I'm here with Jason Charles Miller. What's up, Jason? 
Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going good. I always, I always love the little announcer voice thing I got to do with like a just normal voice chat. Um, dude, I'm, I'm really excited to get to talk to you. Uh, it, for a couple reasons. One, I know uh, you've been good friends with uh, George Rockwell, who's our creative director, and he's just awesome, dude. Says nothing but amazing things about you. Uh, two, my initial introduction to you was like brought in to do the voiceovers for our shards of infinity shadow of salvation yes. like story, which was just the most epic thing. Like it turned just for those that aren't familiar, I think most of the audience will be, but you know, uh, you know, shards of infinity was a deck building game, it was, you know, competitive fun. And we decided to build this campaign cooperative expansion to it. And so it was kind of a choose your own adventure book. And based on how you did in the campaign, you got different things, different outcomes. And we had this story and the story was great. And then George had the idea to bring you in to read it and like do the voiceovers for it and there it's free anybody can listen to it now on stoneblade.com and it's the coolest thing ever like you do such a good job of bringing all the characters to life of like making the thing come alive so you can listen to it and play along and i was just such a so i knew you were a badass from the beginning uh <laughs> Thank but you. then i started digging into your background and it's like you're i mean i I've, I've been a fan of like rock music and things forever and you have just i've started listening to some of your music and you've toured with like huge bands and slipped on disturbed and have tons of cool records out there and i uh so i uh and you've done like voiceovers just for prompting the audience of voiceovers not just for you know for our thing but huge you know games everybody knows the diablo and world of warcraft and street fighter and starcraft and all the it all every like everything i loved as a kid like you are now involved in and have been a huge part of these days so i want to know the story <laughs> i want to know what... I mean, me, me too like i still pinch myself uh you know uh th this past year i actually got cast as optimus prime in a game <laughs> that's so cool which was just like you know a bucket list item for sure actually it was one that i never thought that i would ever i didn't even dream about being the voice of optimus prime because i didn't think it was possible yeah <laughs> Do you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? well that's yeah exactly that's what like what the, what when you're a career path of being optimus prime was if that if i knew that was an option that would be the only thing i tried to do from the moment i grew up sure I, exactly that would be the only <laughs> thing i ever tried to do is like i could just grow up to be optimus prime yeah great perfect problem solved yeah. so yeah that's i mean that's why it's great because like i always I, I, mean, I have a lot of you know mostly game designers but people from all around the game industry because you know these are the dream jobs these are the things that people like are so passionate about and love so much and part of the point of this podcast is to be able to like pull behind the curtain a little bit and be like no no there's paths like this can be your life this can be your career and while with a lot of the game designers i speak to i'm like the stories are always very similar and i know kind of where it goes and, and anybody that's listened to the podcast for a while can can see trends i have no idea how you guys I get to do what you do. So, so yeah, let's, I, I mean, wherever you want to start in your, in your origin story of kind of what got you to, you know, from, from kid playing with Optimus Prime to adult being Optimus Prime. I, I want to, <laughs> right. that yeah. sounds like a great narrative. I guess we can figure it out along yeah, the way. Yeah. yeah. You know, for me, I mean, I'm all like music is what brought me to everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, you know, now I consider myself a, you know, a career entertainer. Um, and, uh, I have, you know, have written songs for, for huge projects that I had nothing to do with other than I was writing the song for that. Um, I've, you know, performed all over the world, you know, in front of, uh, I remember, you know, doing the Ozfest and looking out, not being able to see the end of the people, Oh man, you know, that's kind of a. What a what a weird feeling, oh, you know? dude! I can just that's that's such an epic uh, epic dream to live. That's so cool. 
<laughs> um, and then uh, for the last 17 years, I've also been a voice actor. And the great thing about that is, you know, I just, I kind of let, I let things sort of happen themselves. Like I don't push the fact that I'm a singer to, on to any of my voice acting connections. And I don't, you know, try to, uh, if I get cast in a game as an actor, I don't try to like get my music in there or anything like that. I just sort of like let people know what I do. And, and, and it's interesting that when those worlds collide and it's really fun when they do. But, um, but yeah, like, so I've been performing in front of audiences since I was five. Um, I wasn't like a, I didn't have a, like stage parents or anything, but it was all like my, my pursuit of it. Uh, they supported me of course, but it wasn't, wasn't like I was this, you know, they were pushing me to be a child star or anything. It's just, I got the bug early on and just always wanted to be a performer uh, and luckily I've, I've had a lifetime of being able to do that. So, so starting there's a couple things that I want to unpack there. We'll start with the, this performing at five or six and what, you yeah. know, so you, you, you naturally want to be on stage. You get, you get some kind of instrument in your hands or you start singing and you just, you just, you love it. Your parents are supporting you and you're getting that positive feedback loop from very early on. This is something that you love now out of curiosity was, was gaming a big part of your life at that time as well, or really primarily music and, and other traditional kid things? No, gaming was definitely a part of my life starting around eight. My cousin, my cousin Wesley uh, introduced me to Dungeons and Dragons. And then it turned out that my neighbor, I grew up in the woods of Virginia in Fairfax County and uh, no sidewalks. You know, you had to walk through the woods to get to the next person's house. And luckily for a few years, the next house over, my friend John Franklin, he also played Dungeons and Dragons. So that really was yeah. an early uh, impact for me. And then I remember my dad got me the 1980 box set, uh, you know, basic Dungeons and Dragons, I think it was called. Is this the, the red box? Really, the red box, yeah. Uh, and that yeah. the first yeah. red box, that, in fact, it's right over there. Uh, <laughs> and and that, that really, um, <laughs> like, in... It, that just totally impacted my life in uh, like, even like for just, just for an example, us sitting here right now, like look literally what is in reach is uh, this old yeah. against the giants module. Like I can reach it without yeah. moving, uh, but that's another, yeah. that's another story. Um, uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So uh, that, that I, I devoured it and um, being kind of isolated uh, John moved away. The Aldis brothers were the next closest friends to play with, but they didn't play D and D. So uh, it was just me reading and reading and reading and reading and just like buying a module and having no one to play with it, but just reading it from cover to cover and imagining how I would run. Yeah. It. That it wasn't that, really until hi, high school that I finally found friends that I could play with all the time. Yeah. I think about the the percentage of my time that I spent like playing role-playing games as a kid versus the amount of time I spent reading and like creating imaginary characters and things that never got to actually play. It's like, I, I've read so many more role-playing games than I actually played for the longest time. And just cause you know, it's passionate, it's a passion. And that idea of like creating worlds and imagining those things is just such a, such an engrossing thing. Uh, and so, and so it, it you're, you're, performing at a at a high tier from very early on you're you know in into role-playing games from a very early age but don't have you know just sort of get a, a regular play group till you're till you're in high school and then is it what at what point do those 
you know, paths cross or that the music starts to enable this entering into the world of gaming? That didn't happen until much later. Um, as far as, I mean, really meeting, uh, can we, do, do you talk about George in your podcast? I've, I've talked about George in the podcast. I mean, he's, he's not been on the podcast, um, uh, but I've mentioned, I've talked about him. So he's here, you know, he's awesome. <laughs> okay. Because meeting George Rockwell actually really propelled me into, um, you know, being one of the first celebrity D&D players because he knew Satine Phoenix, who was putting together a live stream celebrity D&D game. And uh, that's kind of like what brought me into that world. Because that was like 10 years ago when when you talked about playing Dungeons and Dragons in hushed tones <laughs> in Hollywood. You guys go stand in the corner, be- you weird Dungeons and Dragons people. <laughs> yeah. And now like, you know... Uh, you know, Joe Manganiello plays it with Vince Vaughn yeah. and, you know, and, uh, you know, the guitarist from Rage Against the Machine and check us out playing in here. Yeah. And it's funny because I'm friends with Joe now, too. But but um, I originally had a song in True Blood years ago. and We became friends then. Uh, and then uh, when when he started doing D&D online and I was, too, we sort of rekindled our friendship that way. It was kind of fun. So so. Yeah, a couple things here. So yeah, Satine has been on the podcast also. We've been on some panels together. She's amazing. So anybody that wants to check her out, check out one of our older episodes. She's absolutely incredible. Uh, such a vibrant energy. Like that's why I met her. We were on a panel together oh, at, yeah. at San Diego Comic Con. It was like, oh my God, we're going to be the best of friends. She's just so, <laughs> so cool. Mm-hmm. So your first experience then moving to some kind of professional gaming world is this celebrity live streaming, not, not the voiceover work. You hadn't done that at that time. No, I mean, I don't think the voiceover, I mean, the the fact that I had a lot of voiceover credits already, I think sort of helped establish me in that sort of online D&D player world. But I don't, um, yeah, I mean, the the voiceover stuff, I loved any time I got to play a character in an MMORPG. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like those are, those are my favorites still to this day. I love uh, those kind of things, but I, but I don't know if the working on those led to me jumping in any further into the games. Cause it's almost like when you're working on something um, you're concentrating so hard on the work that it's harder to be a fan of it. Yeah. Well, so I'm, I, maybe I'm, 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 I'm fast forwarding too far ahead. Cause it's a couple different things that I want to, I want to unpack, which is, you know, what, what, when, you, you know, what brought you from music and being a professional musician to voiceover work? Like, Oh, yeah. sure. One very specific thing happened. Um, so uh, I'll give you a, so I did act a lot in, you know, uh, early on, I did high school theater and community theater and things like that. Um, but when Godhead was on a touring break and we had, we had relocated to Los Angeles from the Virginia DC area, um, our publisher at the time, one of the guys that worked at our publishing company was like, Hey, you know, there's this lady that runs this company and they do a lot of music for commercials. You should reach out to her and see if they're looking for anything. It's a way for you to make extra money kind of, you know, off the books or whatever from our publishing contract. Um, So I reached out and they were looking for music for a Pop-Tarts commercial. 
and they wanted it to sound like Pearl Jam, the end of Pearl Jam's Alive. So they didn't want it to be a jingle. It was just like going to be the soundtrack for the commercial. There are this kids jumping up and down on his bed and they wanted it. It's weird that they said they wanted it to be Pearl Jam's Alive because this was like in 2004. So the like Pearl huh. Jam's Alive was already like 10 years earlier at least. But anyway, right. uh, so we got it and there was one point in the commercial where they wanted it to sound like the singer was going, oh yeah. So I got that, you know, obviously I sang the part and be- the way that the SAG after rules work are just that, uh, if you sing in a commercial, it's the same as acting in a commercial. So therefore I was eligible to join the screen actors guild. And so I said to myself, look, this is a golden opportunity. I should really pursue voiceover. And so I took classes and met a bunch of people and just really nose to the grindstone did it. There was no like special treatment or anything. I didn't really get any, any, you know, we, everybody auditions for every role each time as if they, I'd never worked before. That's just kind of how voiceover goes. Like sometimes people will cast you in a, in a, in a role if they know you're good, but you're never going to get a lead role in voiceover without reading for it. That's just the way it is. Like, um, and, and, and so, so, so anyway, that, so yeah, so yeah. I, that was like 17 years ago and I, uh, you know, have taken it very seriously ever since and just, you know, job well, to job. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to know more about that about that that learning process. So these were you were living in LA at the time, and so you were used. There was plenty of sort of voice coaches and things, and you just found one and started getting like live training. Is that the that how it works? Yeah, I found I found a couple of coaches. I found some classes to take, um, and that's in LA. There's a lot of them, you know. Yeah. Luckily, and and if if you're lucky and you know and you do some research, you know you can get a class with people that are very experienced in the field. Yeah. And, and you, what, what made you hook onto this as a, as like, this is a great opportunity. Like, I really want to go down this road. Like from just singing. Oh yeah. I think it's so much fun. It's so much fun. (laughs) Yeah. You know? So it's like the most fun part of acting because if you're scheduled, you know, you're, you're working the whole time. It's not like on camera acting where they want you there at 6am and your first shot isn't until 5pm, you know? (laughs) Right. What's the old yeah, adage? They don't pay me to act. They, they, they don't pay me to act. They pay me to wait around. I do the acting for free. I think yeah, John yeah. Wayne said that, but, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. So then, and then, and, and, you know, I want to sort of emphasize, so there's this thing that you, you know, you sort of, that you mentioned this actually earlier on, and I think it may be a, a key part of your personality and success is that, you know, you're sort of very open to experiences and very open to where things take you and where the opportunities present themselves and you jump on those right and a lot of people would let that moment go by and be like okay whatever yeah i sang oh yeah in a, in a jingle and now i'm gonna move on um and so i think that's yeah. a that's a just a valuable sort of skill to understand and then that you know that working hard and grinding your way to get there right you want to be optimus prime it's gonna be it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of years <laughs> yeah well here's the thing like yes i am fully aware that there can be a moment or there can be one thing that changes the trajectory of your entire life. And so uh, 
I regret turning down anything that I said no to. Like if I can say yes to something, I will, because it'll always lead to something else. It's crazy, but you just have to sort of let the universe take you there. Um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, luckily for me, I, I have so many, but during this pandemic time, if people listen to it, we're, you know, a year into the pandemic now when everyone's listening, and if anyone's listening to this, um, that, you know, work didn't really slow down for me in the last year because I have so many irons and so many fires all the time. Um, yes. And yes, it's a lot harder that. to get those irons, those fires started when there's no events to go to or no, no one to see, but still, um, I do my best to always stoke those fires because that, I mean, you know, look, even you could be on the most successful show or in the most successful game or in the most successful movie franchise of all time, but it's going to end. You know what I mean? Like it, huh. it, they always end. There's always a, there's always a, a set amount of time and then they end. So, uh, you, you, for an entertainer in this business, you always have to kind of look for the next, for what's happening next. Yeah, always, always hustling, always being open to opportunities. Now, mm-hmm. I'm actually curious because I think I felt this at, at a couple points in life, and I, I, I know I share your drive and that right. I'm always looking for more stuff to do. I always have you know a dozen different projects, irons in the fires. You put it constantly running, and certain ones will like bubble up to the top and take tons of energy, and other ones will be like slower burns and then eventually come up. Uh, but I always yeah. have stuff going on, and I think that ability to always say yes and take on things especially if you're first getting started out there if you you know it's so critical you need to just open yourself to opportunities be willing to work hard be willing to try different stuff uh, you know be someone that people actually want to work with uh, but I've noticed as my career has gone on and as I've gotten older that I ha- I've had to cultivate a better ability to say no because that everything that you say yes to is really also saying no to everything you could be doing other than that and so I'm curious right. if you've experienced that or felt any of that shift in your life or times in your life where where you've had to change gears, if you will, from the you know yes to all to actually no, I need to focus on just these few things or I need to be able to close out certain areas in my life. Um, yeah, it's extremely difficult because I'm also a people pleaser. Yes, <laughs> you yes. know what I mean, like 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 cripplingly so. And I don't mean to be, and I try better to do that, but I'm always just like, oh, I just, I want to make everyone happy all the time. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, is, it, is, it is a blessing. Said, it is a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah. John Mulaney, the comedian said that his wife uh, made fun of him and said, you act like you're running for the mayor, uh, you know, every day of your life. <laughs> you know? and, and that's what I feel like sometimes too. But but it's really it's just coming from a genuine place. At least I think it is, you know, but, but, but yeah, so it's really hard for me to say no, but I do, I have to. And, um, but I always, it, it's better for me somehow if I justify it to them or justify it to myself by saying no, I always give a reason why I say no. You know what I mean? Like I'm on deadline for the, for, for either I get specific or I can just be like, I'm on a, heavy deadline for this huge project and I just can't, you know, and, and people understand that, you know, so I always give a no, but, you know, or a no, not no right now. Right. 
Right. It might be bad yeah, advice. I don't know. What do you think? Well, you know, so what you're doing is a couple of things. The one thing that's definitely good, which is uh, if you give a reason, there's actually some really interesting studies that uh, people are way more accepting if you give a reason. And even if the reason is nonsense. So they did one study where somebody, there was like a line for uh, like a copy machine and somebody who was a Confederate would walk up to the front and say, skip the line and say, you know, can I, can I use that? Um, and certain percentage of people would let them, certain percentage of people would not, would not let them go to the back. But if you say some, some percentage would say, can I use that because I need to, uh, they would, the percentage goes way up. Like people are way more accepting, even though there's, you've told them nothing. You just said, a, right. you said because, right? Uh, so, so people are more accepting if you put a because. So it's, it's a more effective tool. Uh, and it psychologically relieves some of your pressure. Uh, but it's, and so that's helpful internally. But I would say on the flip side that it's also letting yourself you're you're being sometimes maybe a little disingenuous or you're 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 letting yourself off the hook in this way. And and I say this only because mm-hmm. I know I do the exact same thing. I am also by default a people pleaser. I want to say yes to everybody. Uh and so I try to think for myself, uh, can I, you know, sort of be in integrity and say when I say no, if it's true and you know, you really are on deadline and you have this thing that's there, then then of course I think there's it's valuable. But but it's I worry also that when I, I force myself to only say it when I've got one of those specific excuses, then I might, by default, continue to say yes when I don't have a specific excuse. Or, or I'll feel worse, right? Maybe this has happened to you, where you say, because I'm on deadline, I can't do this. And they say, okay, I understand. But then when they ask you something later, you feel like now you have to do it, right? Now you... you <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. You're right. You're absolutely right. And I've, I've done that before. And and. Still, you know, I had to reschedule something like three times because it just, it wasn't really that. Maybe so, I, and I had to reschedule it twice because it, you know, it, and then, and then the third time I was like, I have to do this no matter what. I've already rescheduled yeah. it twice. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know? I'm a huge fan of, uh, Brene Brown. She's, uh, you know, the sort of studies vulnerability and shame. She had a big Ted talk several years ago and I've read mm-hmm. some of her books and she has a mantra that's, uh, sort of to deal with this, which is, uh, choose discomfort over resentment choose discomfort over resentment that this it's uncomfortable to say no to somebody in a situation where it's mm-hmm. not right for you. Uh, but if you do a thing that you're like, this is not what's right for me, I'm doing it because I feel like I'm obligated. I, you can resent that person. You resent doing the thing. And that's just unhealthy for everybody in the long run. And so that, that I've actually used that mantra in times before, like when I, before I say yes to something, because you know, the, the, the more you become well-known and successful, the more inbound you have, the more stuff that's thrown your way, the more people ask things of you. And I, my default is like yours, always say yes, always try to help. And that's a great yeah. place to be, generally speaking, but, but I've definitely learned that you gotta, you gotta practice boundaries also. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting, okay. it's an interesting yeah. shift. It's an interesting shift. And I, that's why I, I was, I was, I was happy to kind of talk to you about it because I, and, and this has been true. Just, your greatest strength is always your greatest weakness. And the things that that drive you forward in in the wrong context can pull you back, and uh, it's it's sure. an interesting it's an interesting space to dig into. Um, okay, so we've we dug uh, we went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but hopefully it's interesting to other people. It's just us because uh, I think it's a it's an important and not often discussed. Maybe we help. Yeah, somebody, maybe there's hopefully. somebody out there that's going to finish this podcast and be like, "No, I'm not doing that." <laughs> <laughs> or yes, you know, again, I, I want to reemphasize if you are not in the position where you just have so much to do too much stuff going on and you know exactly what you love, uh, you should be saying yes to pretty much everything. And yeah. Well, yeah. And here's the thing. Sometimes you got to be self-aware of your own value, right? So, um, I know people 
that have done stuff for low money or no money for years. And now they're making more money than the person that said no at the beginning because it wasn't enough money the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really a balance too. Like, because, you know, uh, as you know, people say they do stuff for exposure and then you're told, you know, well, people die of exposure every day. (laughs) It's true. You know, uh, you've got it. There are, there's that balance as well. Like knowing like what, what I find, what I find is um, when I rather, if someone offers me a job or something like rather than ask them what the rate is, I ask them what the budget is for me. And that seems to like get a more honest answer uh, than what, yeah. uh, because then I usually, if it's something that's being offered and I have a relationship with them already, um, I feel like most of the time, if I already have a working relationship with them, that, that it's because they're honest. So their, their honesty is gonna, is gonna come out, um, a little bit, uh, a, a little bit more, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, this is actually a great, this is a great topic. It's a great topic because it's talking about yeah, how do you price your services and how do you deal with yeah. negotiations when it comes to especially mm-hmm. creative work um, and entertaining work, you know, entertainment style work. And this is actually something I had no idea how to do when I first started as a game designer and to do contract game work. I got my first offer and I was like, Oh, this is so great. And I, you know, like I would, I want, I would do this for free. This is like, this is what I want to do, but wait, I can't do that. I need to make a living. What do I charge them? And I just think like, I try to think through like my hourly rate, like, okay, what do I want? Like, what would I need if I was like, how many hours is it going to take me? And I like quote them a number. And, uh, this was to make a toy, this toy game, uh, for a cartoon. And, uh, and they, and they just kind of laugh at me and they're like, yeah, okay, sure. I was like, oh, that was too low. <laughs> I made a mistake. And, yeah, then, no. and then my next, my next gig, I, I doubled that price. And they're just like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, I was like, and I just, my strategy was every time I would double until I got resistance. But, but like you, I think there's, there's uh, there nowadays it will, it very much depends. Like I will, I'll, I'll framing it as budget. What, you know, what's your budget? Not what, what's hourly rate. Cause I, I never work for hourly rates anymore. I hate hourly rates. I don't, you don't care about my hours. You care about results. You want, you want awesome thing. And I want to give you awesome thing. And let's see if we have the budget to do that. And if so, great. And right. if it's not, then I, then I'll, I'll have the different conversation of, okay, well, that's not going to get you the awesome thing you think you want. Uh, but either I can point you to somebody else. Cause there's plenty of designers that are out there that are cheaper than me. If you want that, you know, and I'm happy to connect you. I want you to, I want everybody to be happy. Or we say, okay, what if you scale down and did X, Y, or Z, or, or if I think it's a partner that I want to work with long-term, I'm happy to get creative and be like, okay you know, do less or get something on the back end or, you know, negotiate in that sense. But that's like you identified is really much better when you have relationships with people and you could just be very straightforward. Like I, I I take it as a principle that I want everybody on the other side of the deal, right. And after we're done working together, that everybody to come out being like, man, I got a great deal. That was awesome. That was a steal. Like that's the philosophy I want everybody to come away with at the end. Because then, you know, they're going to want to work with me again and they're going to recommend me to other people. And, you know, of course, I have to do that in the range of, you know, I'm I'm doing I'm well enough and I can support my team and, and move forward. But but I, I think if you are genuine with the people that you want to work with and you find people that are the same as you, uh, it, it it's it's amazing how that works. And, and at least in my industry, and I assume it's similar in what you've done. It's like, you know, you're going to be working with these same people for years or decades and you, you know 
treat people well is way more important than getting the highest paycheck you can right now. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. I feel like I got a pretty good picture of how the, the voice acting thing started and, and that path. Um, and now we, we, we touched on this before and your meeting with Satine and how you started to get into this being a celebrity gamer streamer, uh, which is yet another dream job. You have, you have awesome rock star dream job that you just, you know, you worked out, you worked towards, and I, I may have missed an opportunity to get you to share some, some rock star stories. I, I think I skipped over that a little too soon possibly, but yeah, uh, that's okay. Uh, uh, you know, they always get peppered back. Yeah, in, yeah. So, so anytime you want to drop in a, a rock and roll story, you please do. Uh, and especially if it, we can tie it into some lesson that I can at least pretend like I'm teaching people with by listening to cool stories. Uh, and then, uh, and then we've learned the you know kind of opportunity that you spotted the opportunity and grinding to really learn and develop the skills to be a voice actor. Now you've got this other opportunity that presents itself to marry your 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 love of Dungeons and Dragons with your, you know, celebrity. And now what, talk to me more about how that goes down. Yeah. Um, well, so, I mean, I I look at like all the little moments, opportunities that sort of like thread their way all the way, um, to where it is now. So, um, so, uh, Ben Moody, um, was the co-founder of the band Evanescence. And he uh, is a good buddy of mine. He saw the, one of Godhead's music videos on MTVX. My manager at the time was friends with the head of his record label. And we met at a party. And he was like, I saw your video. And we became friends. And um, we actually wrote and recorded a lot of music together. And, um, one even for the Punisher soundtrack, the, the Thomas Jane movie, um, through Ben, I met Zach Ward, the actor through Zach Ward. Uh, he was filming a sci-fi channel movie, um, called battle planet and thought I would be, I would be good if her in a small role. So I, the, the director of that movie is a guy named Greg Aronowitz. Um, this is a long thread, but let me just tell you like how, like it all kind of threads. So I just want to know where Greg, Kevin Bacon comes into this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> soon, soon. So Greg, right. uh, was the production manager for the show, the guild Felicia days show, uh, the, mm. the, the most popular web series of all time. It's now in the Smithsonian in the, uh, the media part of the museum of the Smithsonian for like being like the, the, breakthrough web series um they need a song for their opening of season four and uh the season three they worked with jed whedon who wasn't available so greg recommended me uh i brought in my team wrote the song with felicia felicia launches then i end up i end up appearing in season five of the guild as myself then she launches her her network geek and sundry um and i start doing music and work for them then they launch their twitch channel um then critical role launches i know all of them from being a voice actor already uh ask them early on if they need an opening theme song for their show then more shows start popping up on geek and sundry then i'm on a show then i'm a regular cast member on a different show so it all like imagine if I hadn't met Ben Moody at that party that night. 
Do you know right. what I mean? Like, yeah, it, the, who knows where, you know, if any of that stuff would have happened. So I look back at just things that have happened from one thing and I can trace them all back to like meeting this one guy or meeting this one person or, you know, or, or just, you know, uh, right place, right time. And that's sort of how everything seems to happen in entertainment. Yeah. I think it's not just entertainment. Of course, you got to be good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I you got to be talented. Yeah. There, well, there's, there's multiple things that are going on here that I think are interesting. This, this idea of, you know, you met the right person at the right time and, and you got lucky, but I think that there's things that make you more likely to be lucky. it was actually, I started reading this book that was actually recommended by a podcast listener that had said he heard this thread through the podcast and, and it, it, it totally seemed true. And it was all, there's a lot of scientific validation by it, but like you become lucky in large part because there are certain things that you consistently do. Like for example, going to the party, right? The people, a lot of times, nobody, nobody gets a new job opportunity by sitting on their couch, watching Netflix, right? You, you, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there and whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or whatever, like a lot of times, nobody wants to go to those freaking parties, but you do. No, it's not. just like, eh. but, but, but by forcing yourself to be out there, you never know. You went to a hundred parties where nothing comes of it, and you went to the one that it did. And so it's it's that putting yourself out there, being in. You went. You were in. Sorry, you said you started in Virginia. Is that right? Like, and then mm-hmm. you went. Well, you moved to Los Angeles because if you want to find other people that are going to be in the entertainment industry. You need to be surrounding yourself by people in the entertainment industry. That's where you should be, right? And and right, and right. then, as you mentioned, of course, being good, being someone that is consistently like kind and that people want to work with, following through on things, and you know, then and and putting out there, not being afraid to put out there your skills and your needs, right? Being willing to say, hey, here's yeah, I can write songs. Do you need songs? Hey, I'm looking for work in the voice industry, voice acting now, and I've done this thing, right? By being a lot of people that are very, especially, I, I, I imagine quite a bit of the audience here because this is common in the gaming industry where people are shy, where they're afraid to kind of, you know, put themselves out there or ask for what they want or offer what they have. And I think those skills are just critically important things to train because they let this serendipitous stuff happen. And so that's the story of what you told. There's, it's not just quote unquote luck. It's, it's luck that you are prepared for and that you are, are available to make it happen. So it's a cool, it's a really cool story. And so I, I want to, I want to uh, shift then a little bit because again, I think, well, I, you know, hopefully this is really as interesting uh, and to others as it is to me, you know, people that want to be in these other more unique aspects of the industry, whether that's, you know, acting and voice acting or, you know, streaming and, you know, presenting stuff. But I want to also kind of take some lessons of what you've, from your perspective, uh, to to those of us that are game designers, um, and you as someone that streams professionally, and that you you, to, what kinds of games uh, do well on streams? What things have you learned? What things do you wish maybe exist that maybe don't, or the best uh, that that would make? Because streaming is such a huge part of gaming now, and being able to sure. attract people like you to stream the games it can make make or break you know a, a game, right? If 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 you're you're you stream out to your audience and you're playing a game and having a great time. A bunch of people are going to buy it. They're going to tell their friends. And so what things do you think make a games either successful for streams or some of your favorites or stuff that you might advise those of us that are trying to, you know, get your attention and play, play some sweet things that you can stream. You know, um, what I've, what I've found is um, it, it really, 
you know, so I'm in, I don't stream video games. I only stream role-playing games um, where it's interaction with other people. And I think that like the, the experienced role players, you know, you can feel as an audience member, you can feel like you're watching, you're either listening to a radio play or you're watching like improv theater as it happens. Um, and so for me, it's less about what game we're playing and more about the interaction between the other players and me. Mm-hmm. So right now, I, I and it's actually it's tomorrow we're launching uh, Luke Gygax, the son of Gary Gygax, um, runs GaryCon, which is a convention every year, sort of in his father's honor. It gets bigger every year. Of course, because of COVID, the last two years it's been online. He asked me to run a three-episode arc of a game. Um, and people enjoyed the game so much that now it's going to be a weekly series uh, called The Gax Pack. Oh, that's awesome. And what I did was is I took... I. I told everyone they were going to play a D&D game, but then I had them, I transported them into Gamma World and then had them use their D&D powers with the physics of, of the game Gamma World. A little, a little unconventional, and, and that's, that's the game's going to be doing that more and more. Um, but, uh, I, you know, it's funny because every time I wish that there was something more that could be added to the online experience, it gets added. So, for example, D&D Beyond uh, has now a, an overlay where if you're watching us play D&D, you can actually go to the D&D Beyond overlay, add that to your Twitch channel or add that to your Twitch account and then see like what everyone's hit points are and what everyone's level is and whatever their initiative score was and all that. And I think that that's fascinating mm-hmm. um, as, you know, I have a lot of friends who who will stream indie games, who will stream other games. I think like uh, games, video games that might really be engaging for a one-on-one experience might not always work on a streaming experience. Um, but yeah, absolutely, and and I think that the, the the specifically speaking to your to the areas of expertise that you have in in, in role playing games and the kinds of things that that people watch i still think there's a lot that matters from the the game side and like you even just hit on one point which is you know with D beyond it's allowing you to display the information in a way that people can see and so that's just one principle i think is really important is that like if i tune in at some point in your stream maybe i didn't catch it from the beginning or you're just kind of moving through i need to be able to quickly kind of figure out what's going on and the more that that makes it easy for me to get into the action and understand what's happening, the better and more powerful a stream it's going to be. And, and then the follow-up of the obvious one, I think, is that, that player interaction, which, of course, when you're working with professional actors, you, know, you just give them a stage and they'll, they'll improv and make their way to it. But I think there are game mechanics that can make that more or less likely also. There are certain kinds of things that maybe, there's some, maybe it's just about a good story. It's funny that you bring that up because, uh, because yes, what I found is this. I feel like theater of the mind uh, works better on, on if you're role-playing a streaming RPG than if you have a map and terrain and minis. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you bring minis into 
the streaming experience and people have to move them around, you, I, I lose focus as an audience member, right? You kind of lose the audience. The pace of the game slows way down and there's a way to stream RPGs that's wildly different than playing RPGs at home with your friends. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that... um like that specifically that can just slow it down and not making it, not make it a fun experience for the viewer anymore. Um, and so I feel like the simpler game, I think the reason why fifth edition D and D is so wildly popular, uh, is because of the simplicity of the mechanics. Um, it's just complicated enough to where you can feel the stakes but it's not so complicated that you're weighed that you're bogged down with uh, with too many rules. Yeah, there's this really interesting line that you need to kind of walk when it comes to these kinds of games and these kinds of rules because you, you want the the rules to give you that creative spark, right? Like you, we talked about earlier, like you could just read through the rule book and imagine your character and imagine the world that you're going to be and figure it out and that. And that it gives you this kickoff and this and 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 drives you in a direction, but you don't want it to be a straitjacket. You don't want it to be something that forces you to pay attention to this and be in the super crunchy world. And 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 it and where that line is is going to be very audience dependent. Actually, there's a there's a student that's in my uh, my think like a game designer class that is building what's functionally an RPG for kids, and it's designed where you just have these very light kind of almost Mad Libs-like prompts that come up to give the kid the opportunity. And they have toys on a simple little board because kids playing with toys, that's just sort of the natural way for them to get engaged. And then all of it is is just this basic, give them the prompts, then roll a die, see what happens kind of thing. And then, you know, for other people, they want the super crunchy, you know, I want to, you know, whole... I, I want to know what exactly what my mech's heat rating is and which armor plating is out, and you know, uh, and so so it's it, it it changes, but I think where we're talking now, it's so important to remember that the, you know, when I, I say that the you know the job of a game designer is to craft an experience for their audience, and this is the job of an entertainer as well, right? Like, and and in, for a game designer, mostly the default your audience are the players, but when you're in this world, it's not; it's the people that are viewing. Right, you need to, cr- to craft that experience that's fun to watch, that's engaging. Right? If you look at the success of something like Among Us, which is a really fun example, because that game was out, came out many years ago, and was not popular. Right, and then streamings took off, and then all of a sudden, right. boom, it's everywhere because it's the most popular game in the pandemic. Right. Like you know, you got celebrity Among Us tournaments. And yeah, things like exactly, that. it's because it's so much fun to be a viewer of that and watch these people all sort of interact and mistrust each other and like that Mm -hmm. you know the play of it by itself is fine it's a it's a good game but that targeting of how much it is great for the audience and it's so easy for them to jump in and play along uh and that's Mm -hmm. i think one of the great things about it those kinds of things and i don't know if that's as true in rpgs as much but i think that there's definitely this experience sort of like the same way you watch game shows right like why does jeopardy fun right? It's very little going on, but you have these people that are there competing. And then as that answer is on the screen, you could be like, oh, what is Czechoslovakia, right? Back at home, screaming at your TV. And there's this fun engagement that's happening because you feel like you know it or or you don't. Uh, and so do you think there's any element of that? I, I'm genuinely curious if it is RPGs. Do, is there some of that as an audience member, I'm kind of 
feeling like I'm in the action or is it just the joy of oh, watching definitely, it? Oh, yeah. definitely, I think. And I think that like people will be like, oh, you know, they, she shouldn't cast lightning bolt. She should cast fireball mm-hmm. here. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. I think that people totally, you know, get engaged in that way and, and continue to um, to interact. You know, you're, I'm sure they're yelling at the screen at home too, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I, I feel like I get that when uh, people are listening to the podcast, like, why didn't you ask him this thing? What were you, what were you thinking? How mm-hmm. did you get the cool rock and roll stories? You were, <laughs> you were so close to asking this. Right, you know? right. No, I always try like, all right, don't drop any threads. Cause I know that I know I hate it. I'm on the other side too. I know I hate it when like, you've got a host that's like going down a track and then just like, Oh, you just left that thing. Bye. Um, all right, let me give you, I'll give you two rock and roll stories right All now. right. I'll give, and both of them talk, both of them are about meeting your heroes, right? So when I got my first record deal, working on my first record for my band Godhead, uh, our producer at the time, Warren Croyle, said, hey, do you have like a bucket list? Like, was there anybody that you would like, you know, maybe like to appear on the album, play a guitar solo, just somebody cool like that? And I said, uh, yeah, I'd love to have Ace Freely from Kiss play a guitar solo on on one of our songs. That, that would be awesome. You know what I mean? Like, I learned guitar, figuring out Kiss songs and Rush songs. So uh, so I would love that. And he was like, all right, cool. I'll call his manager. We'll try to make this, we'll try to make this happen, blah, 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 blah. So then um, I was still living in Virginia at the time, and uh, Ace it was before the kiss reunion. So Ace was out of kiss, but he was touring as a solo artist. And, you know, a lot of people were still going to see him. So it was arranged that I would meet him backstage at, uh, I think it was called gate a A L Gators in, in Baltimore or something. I think that's what it was called. Um, or I can't remember the name. It some, had Gator in it. Anyway, um, so I met Ace freely backstage and it, I, I hadn't really known that many celebrities yet. You know, and we got our record deal living out of the D.C. area in Virginia. So uh, we knew other musicians and, you know, I just I kind of like broke all the rules. And so when I met him, I was like he knew who I was. He knew he was going to be playing on our record. But when I met him, I I sort of blurted out. I go, you're the reason I play guitar. And, and he went, eh, never heard that one before. And. I was just like, <laughs> oh man. Like I sort of like, hey, I laughed too to like, cause it was so awkward and like, I just felt so deflated and shitty. Aww. And then he never ended up playing on the record either. Oh, <laughs> boo. <laughs> but I'm glad cause I didn't want him to. Yeah. All right. But here's a good rock and roll story. Are you ready good. for the best one? Yes. This okay. This, good. this literally like go, this goes down as you know, one of the coolest things that ever happened to me. So, um, God had played the Ozfest in 2001, and um, uh, through my friend Sarah, I became friends with Jack Osborne, who um, was a, in his late teens at the time. He was still a teenager, uh, but you know, uh, we, we got along, and you know, rock and roll, big family. You know, Ozfest is like a giant cookout for for rock bands. Um, after the Ozfest was over, um, I was invited over to their to their house a few times in Beverly Hills. And um, one night, um, like I was I was there, and like Jack and Kelly got into a fight or something and ran off. And so I'm there. And it's me and Ozzy, and Ozzy knew 
that I was in a band on OzFest, but didn't know much more about that than that. Um, and he was like, oh, what do you do in your band? And I was like, I'm the, I'm the singer. He's like, oh, you're the singer. And like, he immediately like got like super excited. And he was like, have you heard my new album? And I said, uh, well, no, cause it's not out yet. Cause he had a new <laughs> album that was coming out like early next year, already recorded, but not out. Right. He's like, well, let me play it for you. <laughs> so then he like goes to find like the burnt CD. Cause this is back. This is like in 2002 when, uh, you know, iTunes was still like in its fledgling. So he still had like burnt CDs back then. He goes to find the burned CD. He puts it in. He blasts it, right? Where it's just me and Ozzy in his living room, blasting his album down to earth. And here's the coolest part. I'm thinking to myself, oh, he's probably going to play me a song or two or like a snippet off of it or something, you know, just like something minor. No, he played me the whole album from beginning to end. And he sang along to every song. So Ozzy's singing to me his songs while I'm sitting next to him on the couch. And I'm like, first of all, I can, whatever happens the rest of my life, I can die complete. Secondly, uh, (laughs) no one's ever going to believe this. No one's ever going to believe this, but I, I, do appear in two episodes of the Osbournes in the house. So you huh. see me in the background. I'm clearly on the screen, but there I am in the, in the Osborne house. So at least I can prove that I was there. I can't prove that moment right. ever, but it, it happened. You can't prove the private concert. One, 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 one private concert with Ozzy. No. That's, that's amazing. But you know, uh, I know it happened, so that's all that matters to me. That is that is amazing. Well, now now my audience knows as well. I uh, this is this is this is so cool. I uh, I appreciate I appreciate you uh, humoring me and coming back around with the rock and roll stories. I think uh, sure. it is uh, it is it's always something when you meet when you meet your heroes. It, there's a there's this this and then there's this other piece when you kind of take your place in that you know in that stratosphere in the in the in the in the industry that you got so inspired by right obviously the kiss story was a a little deflating but that you know that part where you're sort of welcomed in and you're able to create awesome stuff and be on stage and see a sea of people you know i haven't quite had a stage at that size but that you know for me it's the you know my me it was always richard garfield right like he created magic gathering he's like dictated the entire course of my life and when i was able to actually like interact with him and we're at a we're at the pax dev concert conference and uh he uh somebody asked him a question after he gives a talk about what his favorite game was at the time and he said oh it's i've been playing ascension and i like i'm in the room and i go Woo-hoo! like literally just like jump up in the back of the room like hilariously everybody starts laughing and uh and it was like i can't believe that that that's the case this guy who is like i can't count the number of thousands of hours that he of joy that he has provided me and how he dictated the whole course of my life and then, you know, afterwards, I got to work with him, and we made the game Soulforge, and now we're working together again to make a new version of Soulforge uh, called Soulforge Fusion, which is just like it's just the coolest like experience, and just like exactly that same. Like, okay, I can die, I did it. Like, got to yeah, know, that's awesome. And, and it's you know not quite the same as, as actually a private concert from Ozzy, but but, <laughs> but the emotion was there, and, uh, and it's uh, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> well, by the way, speaking of uh, Magic the Gathering, I, I the the brand new trailer for Magic Legends 
the uh, the video game. I'm actually narrating the trailer. Oh, cool! I've got a British accent, but um, <laughs> that's but that's cool. That's really cool. That's, uh, I kind of want to go like practice some voiceover skills, man. This sounds like it just sounds like such a fun fun thing to be able to do. Like I've I've interacted. You should man, it's fun. Yeah, like I've, but yeah. once again, like it's all about like you know I've had 17 years mm-hmm. in now. You know what I mean? And 17 years of working with producers and directors that know what I can do. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'll still nail the occasional audition. But a lot of my roles come from recurring people yeah. that bring me in. I've got one director that calls me his uh, his Swiss Army knife. Mm-hmm. So I might never play the lead for him. But I know I'm always going to get work because the next game that he works on, he's going to bring me in and I'm going to play seven characters. Right. Right. You know? Yeah, no, it's it's wonderful. And and, that, and it's worth like really underscoring this lesson because for a lot of people, they are looking for that like quick break or quick fix or being able to like, if they don't succeed out of the gates, they kind of, they're, oh, this isn't for me. It's, you know, a career is built over years and decades. And that remembering that both in terms of keeping the drive and working hard to get it to come to life, remembering that in terms of the you know, being good to people and building relationships that are going to yield dividends or, you know, it's just, just good to be good to people in general, but you never know when those things are, you know, karma, karma is real. It will come back. Right. You know, it will hundred percent come back. I probably like, I can't, this is a literally opportunity that just came into my lap this last week, which is I'm not allowed to talk about, but it's like, you know, a friend that I had known for years. I never expected anything out of calls me out of the blue and is connected to this super huge project and, and is bringing me in on it. It's like, you just never know. I, I really just, I believe that stuff is so, so important. And you clearly exude that. It's been, it's been really fun uh, just getting to chat with you here. And I hope we can actually, you know, post pandemic world all get together and uh, do this IRL at some point. Cause I'm not that far. Yeah, away let's hang you. for sure. Know, uh, we got to get George back in town. We can all uh, play, play some games and drink some whiskey and <laughs> have a good old time. Yeah. Uh, yep. Um, all right. So uh, we we're kind of running closer to the end of time. Uh, I know you've got, you mentioned the one new project that you're working on. Uh, what other things do you, you know, people want to find more of your stuff, whether that be music, games, streaming, cool stuff. What, yeah. what we got? So, I mean, right now I'm streaming like, gosh, I'm, I, I, I'm streaming like five days a week because what's happening is so Monday nights, I, I have a show called Miller's Music Mondays on my channel, the Jason Charles Miller Twitch channel. And I have a guest every week and we go back and forth. So my guests will play a song and then I'll play a song and then they'll play a song and I'll play a song I'm running it like a Nashville songwriter round. Um, and then I'll interview them in between. We'll catch up. So that's Mondays, Tuesdays on the Codename games channel, the company that puts out idle champions. I run a, I host a songwriting show and we pick a different character from idle champions every week and write a song about that character live in front of the audience. Wow. And then the audience contributes to the song. So they're learning about songwriting. They're contributing to the song that we're writing. And then in the end of two hours, we have a completed song every time. And what's happened with that, that's just me and an acoustic guitar and my co-host Dylan, who works for Codename. But then we just, we pick our favorites and then I fully produce them and then they place them in the game. That's awesome. So we now have eight songs in the game from what we crowdsourced, uh, you know, on the show. Uh, then Wednesday night is my straight up request show, uh, which is, uh, I just, I have a list of like 170 songs that I know. And, uh, for two hours, I'll just take requests. People throw me tips for, you know, and I've split my tips with my Twitch mod moderators. And, um, and, and so that's that 
And then uh, Fridays now I'll be doing the new Sirens of the Realms game. Uh, and then Saturdays is the Gax Pack on the GaryCon Twitch channel for uh, for Luke Gygax that I'm the dungeon master of. So that's, yeah, there you go. That's five five days a week I'm on. I'm doing something on so Twitch. So you're just slacking on Thursdays and Sundays then. Yeah, Thursdays and Sundays, I'm in a coma. I'm either in a coma or I'm working on all these other projects that I have to, to finish. And then don't forget, I, I usually have a couple of voice acting gigs a week, too. So I have to pepper those in somehow and fit them into the schedule. You do seem like a guy that needs to say no more often. That's a, <laughs> that is exciting how much stuff you have. Yeah, I know. I know. But, but at the same time, it's like, I can't, it's as you know, as you probably know, it's really hard to say no to money. Yeah. Well, uh, if it's money and stuff that you love, that's really like when you have that overlap, that's really, really like presumably these streams, like you really enjoy what you're doing. It's super fun. Of course. And and so for me, it's like, I'm so passionate about the things that I'm doing that it's like, I don't want to put the project down. I don't want to stop the thing. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. I don't need as much sleep. Maybe I don't need to, you know, like I will, I, I, it's funny how much for me, I went from, you know, I love to play games and I played games all the time, like all the time to now I actually don't have that much time to play games because I spend so much time making games and I'm playing the games I'm working on. And and I just love it. Like, so when you're passionate about it, like I, you know, work hard, enjoy the things, make cool stuff, contribute to the world. And you, you're, you're clearly the epitome of that. So even though I've been joking about saying no, I mean, I think if you are loving what you're doing and, and, and firing all cylinders, then man, rock out. <laughs> Thanks, man. I mean, but yeah, I, I often joke with friends. I go, you should see my Google calendar <laughs> and how, how it's just, you know, bap, 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 bap. Yeah. And I, I need to, I need to place things in my calendar of like chill time, just relaxing time. Yeah. You know? I actually have, I actually have done the same thing. Cause I also have a fill. I actually, not only have to have my own full calendar, but I also have like a calendar of events and things that I run for the, for my think like a game designer course and other things. And so it's like they overlap. So now they're, they're all there, but I have actually learned to block off like solo creative time and like you know this is like i'm going for a walk here and so i block off these times throughout my day because my default is just go 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 pack everything in and i found that's actually super valuable both i actually work better right because solo creative time where you actually spend to build things not just you know work on other projects or work on execution uh but and then and then rest and recovery time because doing creative work requires rest and recovery so yeah. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done, but it does help. Right. And if it's not real. If it's not in the calendar, it definitely won't happen. <laughs> yeah. Certainly awesome, man. Well, thank you. I know uh, you are now, especially I know how busy you are. So I very much appreciate you taking the time to come chat with me uh, and, and working on our awesome projects. I know we are going to work on more awesome stuff together. Uh, because I yeah. can't wait. I'm not going to say no to All you. Right. Okay? Oh, good. Yeah. Don't, don't listen to any of that no <laughs> stuff right. when you're talking about me. <laughs> okay. Awesome, All right. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to support the podcast, please rate, comment, and share on your favorite podcast platforms, such as iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever device you're listening on. Listener reviews and shares make a huge difference and help us grow this community and will allow me to bring more amazing guests and insights to you. I've taken the insights from these interviews along with my 20 years of experience in the game industry and compressed it all into a book with the same title as this podcast, Think Like a Game Designer. In it, I give step-by-step instructions on how to apply the lessons from these great designers and bring your own games to life. If you think you might be interested, you can check out the book at thinklikeagamedesigner.com or wherever fine books are sold.